Hey guys, it's Carlos. Listen, before we jump into this week's episode, I wanted to let you know of a slight change to our schedule. We mentioned in the last episode that this was going to be the week that we go weekly in our podcast format, but the team and I, we need to ask for just a few more weeks to get things ready for you. We've got some really, really great episodes planned and we promise it's going to be worth the wait. So we're going to keep you guys updated. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to Parent Q Live. This is going to be great. It's, it's going to be it's going to be a fun day. Um, we are going to be talking about what does it mean? Not really what does it mean? What does it look like when we're so busy as parents, but we really want to continue to build relationship with our kids, right? I mean, I don't know what you're talking about, Carlos. I'm, I got time you, to spare. You get, you got time to spare? Like, you're not yeah. busy at all? Like, parenting just added extra hours to my oh, calendar. Right, right, yeah, right, right. No, no worries there. Yeah, the truth is we are absolutely insanely busy. And, and I feel like it just, it never's going to, it will never end. The, right. The, the conversation always seems to be, well, when things slow down, <laughs> then we can, and then it's like, well, are things really ever going to slow down? Absolutely. I mean, I know I felt that. I did not anticipate how busy it was really going to be as a parent. Yeah. Or when I went from one kid to two kids, uh-huh. how much busier it was going to get. Or yeah. as we move from a preschool stage of life into the elementary school year, oh, where man. kids have an activity now, or there's an after school, or there's homework, or yeah. all of those things just start to kind of ease in and creep into our schedules and our lives. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, we actually have... Um, some information here on how busy we are as parents. Now, so so this is um, you know the the Carlos Whitaker um, research uh, firm has <laughs> has dove into some facts uh, on busy parenting, which really means I just googled these. So let's not um, let's not take these as gospel, um, but we're, it's pretty close. Here's here's some some busy stats for us, if if, if I may. How, actually, How does that make me feel nervous? It, it should. <laughs> it should make you feel nervous because you're about to realize, and you listeners are about to realize how busy we actually are. So this is what we're going to do. I'm going to, this is a test for you listeners. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask a question, and then we're going to give you just a couple seconds to come up with an answer. Then we'll let you guys know the answer as to how busy we actually are. So the first question, the first statistic that I'm going to turn into a question that I want you guys to answer as you're driving or wherever you may be listening to this is, how many miles do we drive our kids around before they turn 18? How many miles do we drive our kids around before they turn 18? I think, I, I think this is going to blow your mind, Kristen. Okay, are you guys ready? The answer is 125,000 miles before our kids turn 18. That is equal to half the distance to the moon. That is crazy. And you know what? In, in my mind, I automatically start going to how many crumbs are in the seats or like ground into the seat under Absolutely. the car seat just oh. because of those miles or like smells in the van. How many I mean, McDonald's French fries that will never mold because we don't know what they're <laughs> dipped in? We could, we could probably stack those crumbs the same distance halfway to the moon. Actually, I love the McDonald's fries. How many miles do you have to drive before the McDonald's fries go bad? Oh, exactly. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I think to heaven because okay. I don't know. I don't know if they'll ever. You might have go to bad. Google that one too. Yeah, I may have to Google that one too. So, just so you guys know, we understand you're busy because, and we understand that you're driving your kids around. Next question for you guys: How much laundry does the no. average family of four? So much. So much. How much laundry does the average family of four? end up doing in a year? 
One year. In, in one year. Okay. Now, okay, so if you're the laundry person listening to this, um, you know, you, you, you've got a guess. You've got a gut feeling. I wonder what it is. And if well, you're not the laundry person in the family, uh, you need to pay attention to this stat because yes, you may learn a little something. Yes, absolutely. If you're not the laundry person <laughs> in the family, you may end up becoming a little bit of the laundry person because I want to let you guys know, we're, we're going to kind of divide this up. Two to three loads per person, eight to 10 loads a week. That is 520 loads in a year. That's a lot of laundry. That is so much laundry. That was the number one thing I underestimated as a parent. I remember yeah. the first time I became a parent, just being overwhelmed at the sheer mass of laundry that oh. a tiny oh. little seven-pound person yes. had added to our home. Yes. I mean, it was insane. I was doing loads of burp claws. Oh. I just felt like oh, burp yeah. claws for days. Tons. And then every kid, it seemed like they didn't add the laundry of one more human, but no. like three to five because... Right. Multiple outfits. But when you're single or you're newlywed, like you just, the laundry doesn't seem like that big of a deal. Yeah, but adult people can wear jeans, don't judge me, for a couple of times yes. before they go in the wash. Yes, yes, yes. And little people can go through like three pair of pants in a day. In a day. Yeah. This is what it is. That yeah. That is true. And laundry has probably ended up in your family swallowing your favorite sofa that you used to sit on. And now it's just kind of the laundry sofa. <laughs> it's we, the laundry sofa. We all get it. That's super, <laughs> super busy. This this last this last piece, piece of research that the Carlos Whitaker research firm um, found uh, was this, I, I don't even know what to say. We all know Lunchables. We all know that we're busy. We all know that, uh, you know, push comes to shove. We got to feed our kids something. And every once in a while, it's a Lunchable or maybe every day is a Lunchable for you. Who knows? But in one year, in one year, 2011, so things have grown since then. This is the last information that the Carlos Worker Research Firm could find. $1 billion in Lunchables sold a year. That is a lot of bologna. A billion. That is a lot of bologna. And is it bologna or bologna? It's, I think it's bologna. Oh, you think it's bologna? <laughs> that, that is a lot of bologna. A billion bucks. Parents, we're busy if we're, if we're spending a billion dollars a year <laughs> on Lunchables for our kids. So there, there, there's, some, there's some fun facts that the Carlos Whitaker Research Firm has uh, brought to you guys. Hopefully now you understand how busy we actually are uh, today. Kristen, we're going to be diving into maybe some practical steps on it. In the midst of our busyness, what can we do to develop these relationships with our kids? Yes, today we get to have a conversation with one of our favorite, favorite guests, Dr. Kara Powell. She's the executive director of the Fuller Youth Institute and a great friend of ours. And Kara is here to talk about something that is just so, so impactful to me as a parent because she's diving into this idea of how do we create strong relationships with our kids even amid the busyness. Um, because we all know that we're busy. It's not like we need somebody to point in at us sometimes and tell us that we're busy. We right. get it. We feel it. We feel the shame. We, we feel the shame. <laughs> and exactly. But she knows kind of how to navigate that. Um, she's done some incredible things in her own home with her three kids um, as they've gotten older to really take advantage of the rhythm of the week and the moments that just naturally happen in the home to maximize those moments, capitalize on those, um, to dive in and create a strong relationship. So without any further ado, let's just go to this conversation that we've had with Dr. Kara Powell. Kara, thank you so much for being here today. Uh, oh, my pleasure. I always enjoy these conversations. I thought we would just start off talking as parents, one parent to another parent, um, with one of the number one frustrations I feel like everyone else in the world has with us as parents. Yes. 
which is that we're too busy. Yes. I hear it all the time. Parents are too busy. You know, this mom's too busy. That dad's too busy. They're all too busy. And as a parent, I just kind of want to say, I know that I'm too busy. Yeah, and I worry sometimes that I'm too busy. I mean, I I love my job at the Fuller Youth Institute. It's fantastic. Um, And I do wonder and am concerned. Are my kids going to feel like they don't get as much attention? I'm not as present with them as maybe I would be if I didn't have my job. And I hear from stay-at-home parents, they feel the same way. There's so many things that tug at our attention as parents that we wonder, are we giving our kids the face-to-face focused attention that they need and deserve? Sure. And I mean, you mentioned any kind of parent. I think Having multiple kids is another factor. Yep. It's shocked me how much, you know, just between the pediatricians and the, maybe we have a one sport or one activity limit in our household. And yet, if you have multiple children, yep. that adds up so fast. You're still and coordinating so then, multiple practices, tournaments, sure. library books, doctor's appointments, parent-teacher conferences, and all that. It gets, it adds up so much faster than I ever realized. Mm-hmm. So you're looking at a calendar that is just full on every day. Wondering, I mean, as I wonder to myself all the time, I mean, when are we going to have just a weekend? (laughs) When is a weekend going to happen? Right. And I think sometimes I buy the myth that, well, this is just a busy season and it'll eventually (laughs) slow down, but it never really slows down. I mean, we might have those seasons of slowness, um, a day, a weekend, a week, et cetera, but, but... But the busyness is far more pervasive than I would have imagined as a parent. Sure. My son doing one activity, his activity is baseball in the fall. And as soon as baseball season wraps up, we're into the holiday season. Then it's just the holiday season, but then it hits that spring season where we've got more. So there's always something filling those days of the calendar. Um, And so sometimes I see, you know, it's a blog or it's a comment about parents being too busy. I just think, I already know that I'm too busy, but I also know, as you would say, that there's value in being present. Um, And we understand that. I mean, we know that we need to be present for our kids, but what is it that makes being present so important? Yeah, when I think about the importance of presence, my mind goes immediately to some fantastic research that's been done really over decades about the importance of parent-child attachment. And Mm -hmm. starting from birth, um, how much our kids need eye-to-eye, unhurried, they are the center of our attention time mm-hmm. with us and how that that imprints them to us mm-hmm. and the way that we are present for our kids, especially early on, but throughout their life. I mean, that becomes formative for them in how they think about themselves, wow. how they think about relationships with other people. Um, so, so I think, you know, there's this whole stream of psychological research that affirms the importance of, of attachment. And then the other thing is that there's a second stream of research that looks into uh, the power of parental modeling on kids. And mm-hmm. that as important as other influences are, I mean, the best research shows that parents are really the number one influence in a kid's life. And mm-hmm. so we need to be present with them in order to model the kind of character qualities, the fruit of the spirit etc., that we want for them to pick up. So, so there's at least two streams of research that come immediately to mind that convict me as a parent that I want to be more present for my kids. Now, what does being present mean? Uh, if you were to kind of step back and define that, I mean, you live in the same house, you breathe the same air. It's easy in some ways to be present and also maybe, you know, what, what does it actually look like if you were to say, this is what presence means for a parent? Well, I don't have a clinical definition, but I'll share the definition that helps me. It's 
time where my kids are my primary focus. Hmm. Sometimes it's eye-to-eye time mm-hmm. where we're sitting across mm-hmm. the kitchen island, sitting across the table. Other times it's side-to-side time mm-hmm. where we're in the car. But where the, the, my kids are my number one focus at that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm tuning out other distractions, other important things in my life, so that they know that I'm riveted on them. And what is it that keeps us from doing that as Oh, gosh. Parents? At least for me, there's so many things. Um, busyness that we alluded to earlier. I mean, that that's near the top of my list. I think technology mm-hmm. is something that uh, I'm concerned about for myself as well as other parents, that a lot of times when we could be giving our kids that unfocused time, we're on our cell phones, we're on our laptops, we're on our tablets, and we're often doing things that benefit our kids. <laughs> you know, I, I, I've joked, I sometimes wish that my laptop had a light that went on yes. when I was doing things for my kids. <laughs> you know, so when I'm registering them for camp or when I'm arranging time for them with a friend. And, and so sometimes, this, I mean, this shows some of my insecurity, I kind of narrate for them what I'm doing when I'm yes. doing something for them, like, hey, Nathan, signing you up for science camp now, you know, so he knows that I'm doing something for him, but instead of other things, but really technology is a challenge for parents. Um, I think too, we have some distorted ideas about what it means to be present. And my good friend and colleague, Chap Clark has done some fantastic work on this in his book, Her 2.0, as he looks at the abandonment that kids feel. And I think a lot of times we as parents, we're equating presence with chauffeuring our kids around. Mm. We think a good relationship is when we drive them, you know, we're, we're kind of the vehicle, pun intended, to get them from place to place. Um, and, and so we're so focused on getting them from place to place and logistics that we think that's quality time. And that's for our kids, their perception, that's that's not really quality time. So, so I think there's a lot of obstacles, our busyness, technology, and then some of our distorted ideas about what quality time is. Mm-hmm. Um, logistics have to happen, absolutely. We have to talk that over with our kids. We have to be mindful of that. But, but that's not ultimately what's going to build a deep relationship with our kids. Kara, one of the things I love about talking to you about parenting is the way that you have created some dialogues in your home. So when you talk about kids sometimes feel abandoned or kids sometimes are looking for a quality time that we think we maybe gave them, but they don't feel like they received. Yeah. How do you, as a parent, kind of figure out if your kids feel like they have your presence or they have it in the way that they would would like to have it? Yeah. For me, it's really varied by my kids' season and the phase that they're in. So when my kids were younger, it was quite honestly easier to be present with them because it was on more on my schedule. Mm-hmm. You know, when I walked in the door, if I wanted quality time with my kids, all I had to do was say, okay, let's tie blankets around our necks and let's pretend that we're superheroes and run around the house. And they loved it. I walked in the door, they were ready. Now I'm finding that, especially as my two oldest are teenagers, being present with them is much more about being sensitive to their openness Mm -hmm. and their desire to connect with me. Just a couple days ago, um, I had tried to connect with my daughter. She'd been out of town at a volleyball tournament. And and so I had a 10-minute ride in the car with her. And I thought, okay, great. This will be a good time. She just wasn't in the mood. Um, and so the next day was a weekend day. And so we we were going to have lunch together. And I thought, great. I'll get to connect with her over lunch. You know, I'll, we'll, we'll sit down at the kitchen island, look each other eye to eye. And once again, she wasn't in the mood. So a couple hours later, I just thought, I'm going to go into her room and just sit. Mm. 
And so I opened the door, and, and, and she was working on something on her laptop. And I went and sat on the chair in her room, and... Um, and she kind of said something like, so, you know, do you, do you need something, Mom? And I, I did ask a logistics question, but then I said, you know, I'd love to hear more about the volleyball tournament. And all of a sudden, we had this, like, 15-minute conversation about the volleyball tournament. It was my third attempt that day to try to have that conversation with Krista. Mm-hmm. And the first two times, she was distracted, just not ready for it, not in a great mood. And it, and it took perseverance on my part to mm-hmm. figure out... When are those open times when my teenager's willing to talk? Mm-hmm. Um, often for me, it has been in the car, but there again, technology's a challenge. So, you know, one of, the, one of my rules of thumb with my kids is often when they get in the car, say they've been at school, something like that, they haven't been able to be on technology. And so they understandably want to go on their phones at that moment. And so I usually say to them, hey, it's great that you're on your phones for a few minutes, but can you put them away in a few minutes? Mm-hmm. And, and that's just kind of our family norm. Mm-hmm. And so they get a few minutes to connect with their friends, and then they put the phones away, and, and I can be present with them. But it also means that when we're in the car <laughs> together, I can't use technology. Right. You know, I can't right. be making phone calls and, and right. all that, which it's tempting to do as a parent. So, um, so I think it's looking for those windows, and especially as your kids get older, the windows are more on their terms, which means we have to be more available mm-hmm. in a wide variety of times than it is when our kids are younger. And available for a conversation that might not happen. Yes. Or something that might not feel meaningful or something that might not feel like, you know, what was the point? What was the purpose? Um, presence doesn't always feel like it's meaningful or purposeful or um, right. a moment that maybe you were going for or looking for. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and, and I think presence means different things to different kids. You know, my mm-hmm. son, he loves sports. And so sometimes if I want to be present with him, I'll just ask him, so what's going on in the NFL or what's going on in the NBA? Honestly, I don't care that much what's going on. But that's my way to open a door of presence with him. With my daughter, she's a huge extrovert. And so I ask her, so how are things going with your friends? And I actually do care more about what's going on with her friends than I do various professional sports. But nonetheless, um, you know, that is how I can enter in with them. So, so it's not only knowing your kid's mood, but knowing what topics that you can open up are most likely to have, a re, have an actual conversation. And even if it's a topic that you don't care that much about, if it's important to your kids, mm. then it's meaningful to them. And, you know, that's something interesting in, in so much of the research on families and parent-child relationships. It's not about our perceptions as parents. It's about our kids' perceptions. And so how can we enter into those moments that are important to our kids or those topics that are important to our kids? That's great. And I love the pointedness of the questions you're asking or the topics that you're opening up. Because so often I even fall into the temptation to go, how was your day at school? Or, you know, how are you liking baseball generically, you know, broad end? And those are hard questions to answer when you really kind of peel back, you know, what that looks like. Yeah. I mean, if somebody asks me how my day is, I might say, oh, it was good. I I, I will do the same thing as an adult. But if someone says, what was your favorite part of your day? What made you laugh today? What was frustrating about today? What would you change about today? You know, there's so many ways to ask a slightly more specific question that helps us have an actual dialogue and be more present with our kids. That's great. Now, how do you know if you're winning in this area? How do you know if your kids are saying, I have enough of mom's presence, or I feel like she is present with me, versus, you know, maybe you feel like you're winning in this area, maybe they they don't. Well, the good news is, as our kids get old enough to talk, we can actually have the conversation with them. 
So I regularly ask my kids, hey, how are you feeling about our family schedule? How are you feeling about the time that you're getting with me? Do you think I'm too busy? Do you wish I was traveling less? Do you think I'm on the laptop too much at home? Um, you know, I, I regularly ask my kids that question. And, and almost all the time, their answers are, no, it's fine. No, it's great, Mom. But there was a time uh, a few years ago when my then nine-year-old daughter, when I was asking her, how do you feel about our family routines? How do you feel about our schedule? Well, I had a, this is terrible, but <laughs> Fuller had scheduled a weekly Monday at 7 a.m. conference call. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the worst possible time as a parent, <laughs> right? 7 to 8 a.m., so much going on to get your kids out the door. And Monday, worst day because everybody's still a little groggy and out of sorts from the weekend. And so Monday, 7 a.m., I had to have 10 weeks of a conference call. And so my daughter, Jessica, at that point said, Mom, I really don't like your Monday, 7 a.m. calls. And to be honest, I I couldn't change them. It (laughs) was something that was determined by a whole bunch of other people's schedules and East Coast time and all that. And so I had to say to her, well, you know, I I can't change that, but how can we use 6.30 to 7 a.m. in the mornings to connect? And, And how can I help you get everything you need done by 7 a.m. so that you don't feel like you're on your own from 7 to 8 a.m. And so, right. uh, so you know, I think after our kids are four, five, six, we can ask them, hey, how are you feeling about our family time together? Or, or, do you wish you had more time with me, et cetera? I think that's great. The conversations, the openness um, is always convicting to me to go, hey, check in with your kids every now and then and just see. Um, because another thing that I think happens is when when you feel busy as a parent or you feel like there's so much going on and you may be questioning on yourself, there's sometimes some guilt that creeps in. Right. Um, and right. I, sometimes this is just me personally, I have to, to remind myself guilt is not helping you become a better parent. Right. Um, and so what are some steps that you would say, you know, in those moments when maybe you're feeling like, okay, I feel like maybe we're getting too busy again. Mm-hmm. Maybe mm-hmm. we need to step back and try at this again. Mm-hmm. What are some first steps that we can take as parents to become more present? I think it's it's thinking about what are what are already my best connection times with my kids. Odds are good you don't need to start a new type of or new way to connect with them. You just need to look at how are you just need to look at how am I already connecting with my kids? What are already our best times and how can we do more of that? Mm. So with our youngest, she loves cooking shows on TV. Once again, I'm not particularly interested in cooking shows, but she loves them. And Mm -hmm. so if I'm starting to feel like I need a little bit more time with her, I'll say, hey, Jessica, let's watch The Great British Baking Show, which is her most recent favorite. And so we'll sit on the couch and and we talk to each other a lot in the Mm -hmm. midst of watching the show together. And so, you know what? I don't I don't have to find a bunch of new ways to connect with Jessica. I can just look at how have I already had good times with her and how do I turn the dial to to be more intentional and in having a few more times with her like that. And in thinking about how we connect with different kids, especially for those of us who have more than one kid, we also need to be sensitive to are we preferring to spend certain times of time with certain types of kids to the point that some of their siblings, some of our other kids might feel left out. Mm. Some of the research that's been very convicting to me is um, how toxic it is when kids perceive favoritism in the home. Mm. And note that I said when kids perceive favoritism in the home. (laughs) You might not perceive any favoritism in the home. But if a kid feels like you are more present with a sibling than what some 
very convicting longitudinal research on family relationships and faith development shows is that that child is likely, that child who feels like their parents are favoring a sibling is likely to distance themselves not only from that parent, but from other things that are important to that parent, including faith. Wow. So in our Sticky Faith Guide for Your Family book, we have one paragraph on favoritism in the book. And it's probably generated more conversation with parents who've come up to me afterwards and said, this really convicted me than any other paragraph. And especially it's been parents who connect with a kid over sports. Mom, dad, stepmom, stepdad. You know, they have no problem supporting that son or daughter who's into soccer or volleyball or basketball or hockey. Mm-hmm. And they know how to talk to that kid. They know how to show up and cheer literally for that kid. But, you know, that kid who's into video games or the sibling who's into Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts or the sibling who's into art, a lot of parents have a harder time knowing how to support and be present with their kids in that. And so that's been really stretching for me. Um, and, you know, we have that dynamic. Our son, as I mentioned, he loves sports. And so if I want to connect with him, you know, it's throwing a football in the back yard or it's sitting and watching a football game, whatever it might be. Um, our youngest, Jessica, she's not into sports. She's into art. Mm-hmm. I really don't like art. Um, <laughs> I, I always joke, my husband Dave came into our marriage with two glue guns and I came into our marriage with zero glue guns. So I don't enjoy art at all. But you know, if I want to be present with Jessica and if you know there's no great British baking show to watch, um, I'll say to her, hey, do you want to do an art project? Yes. And honestly, I would rather vacuum yeah. than do an art project. <laughs> like I really don't like art. But but that's my way of entering into what's important to her. And I never want her to feel like, oh, mom's got time for Nathan for sports, right, right. but mom doesn't have time for me. Yes. In our home, we have that exact same dynamic. And on top of that, also the personalities of my children play into this, where my son is the one who will always ask for one-on-one time. Mm-hmm. It's just in him, for some reason, he'll just, he has this radar. Um, he'll always say, hey, mom, can we do, you know, we used to call them dates, or can we go out, just you and me? Can you and me just do something together? Um, and <laughs> heaven forbid, if we have a you and me moment that his sister wants to try to get in right, on, right. the world will come crashing down because he really prioritizes our one-on-one time. and. Yeah. He asks for it. Yep. My second child, um, it's taken me a while to come to the realization that it matters to her, but she will never ask. Mm. She has never once said, I want one-on-one time with you. And yet, anytime that we've actually spent one-on-one time together, she'll talk about it for months and months Mm. and months afterward, or she'll refer to it. Or there's ways that she shows that she was hungry for it, but because she doesn't ask my default is sometimes to forget about it or yeah. to not realize that it's been, you know, however many months since we've had some of that quality time. So yeah. some of it's even personality driven yep. to go, I'm not intending to favor one kid, but one kid is you know, in my face asking every day yeah. and the other one is just waiting to see if I'm going to yeah. deliver it. Yeah, absolutely. Or one kid needs me to drive them around more. So I right. invariably get more time in the car. I mean, that was an issue for us when Nathan who's now 16, got his driver's license. And all of a sudden, I lost, you know, really about a half an hour a day in the car with him one-on-one. And, well, I was thrilled that he could drive himself to school and sports practice and worship practice at church. I mean, believe me, I was doing a little victory dance in the kitchen. I was also grieving that I didn't get that car time with him. And so I had to create a new way to be present with him. And, you know, since our kids are, we're about in second grade, we have very much been a family that expects our kids to make their own breakfast and make their own lunches. And, you know, there's simple breakfast and lunches. Lunch is a a bagel and a cheese stick and breakfast is cereal and some nuts. But we just kind of thought our kids are capable of this and they can go ahead and do it. It's part of them learning skills and having agency. 
But with Nathan turning 16 and him being driving himself around and often not being home for dinner, I started making breakfast Mm -hmm. for Nathan and his two younger sisters. And, you know, I haven't done this for over 10 years. And at first, the kids looked at me like, Mom, what's going on? Are we in trouble? Um, (laughs) Do you need to talk to us about something? Wait, it's not the weekend. You normally only only make us breakfast on Saturdays or Sundays. No, you're not in trouble. And yes, it's still Monday. Um, But I realized that for me to be present with Nathan, often the best time was that 15 minutes when I was making French toast or pancakes. And then he would eat and I would sit at the, the kitchen island and eat with him. So I've had to readjust my own schedule because mm-hmm. I love to work out and I love to do email in the mornings. And I've had to cut some of that so that I can be present with Nathan, my now driving son, in a window that works for him, which is, you know, 7.15 to 7.30 in the morning before he heads for school. So, you know, as we're talking, Kristen, I'm just thinking it, it takes a lot of awareness mm-hmm. of our kids' personalities, our kids' phase our kids' preferences, to, to monitor, to self-monitor how present we're being with our kids. And that's where, you know, I'm so grateful for, uh, for my husband as well as other friends mm-hmm. who are good sounding boards. So for parents who are listening to this, if you're, if you're wondering how are you doing at being present with your kids, um, you know, I encourage you to find a close friend, somebody at your church that you can talk to about this and get their feedback on what they perceive as they look at you and they look at your family, because we all need, we all need those sounding boards that help us define reality. I think that's great. And I love that it's the simple everyday moments that you're pointing to for these moments of presence. It's not always necessarily the big family vacation. Right. I mean, those are important, but you know, staycations are great. And it's it's the it's the moments over French toast on the kitchen island that I think are are the building blocks of presence for our family these days. Well, thank you so much for joining us and for challenging us to take advantage of those moments, Kara. Well, it's a challenge I'm trying to figure out myself every day. So it's an, it's an honor and a joy to process it with you. Wow, exactly what I was hoping for. Um, Kristen, your conversation with Kara, I mean, it was, it was super practical. What, what would be the cue that we're kind of looking for as we step out of that conversation. When I listen to Kara, I'm always so inspired to just keep trying, Mm, to look for the opportunities where my kids seem to be leaning in or they Mm -hmm. seem to be responsive, and then try to do it again, try to do it again. If it fails, try again. Yeah. Um, Because relationship really happens when you make a commitment um, to look for those opportunities Mm -hmm. in the everyday moments to just give your child a little bit of your presence. Yes, yes. Le- leaning in, even if you're rejected, you know, <laughs> e- even if you're rejected by that kid, leaning in sometimes even continues to look like lunchables to me. I, I just, <laughs> I can't get past that that simple stat from the beginning. One billion, one billion dollars in lunchables sold every year, guys. I, I I don't know. I think we can do better, but maybe maybe we can't. I, or I, even if we can't, as we were looking through the the Google research firm. Yes, yes, the Carlos Whitaker research firm. Carlos Research yes. Whitaker. Yes, we we found some amazing quotes by parents as well. I loved reading what parents had to say yeah, about what, Lunchables. What did they have to say? This, this one dad said, and I quote: "They look really awful." This Kensington father of two, still he gives them to his son usually twice a week. He says it's for convenience. I think it's just amazing that we can look at it and go, look, I get that it is bologna and crackers. I, 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 it, I under, there's a white flag that I've surrendered. But 
you know, if you need to pack your kid a Lunchable so that you have time to sit down and have some presents yes, with them. Absolutely. I love the way that you folded that back into it. the conversation. There is no shame. Parents, there's no, if you're a Lunchable parent, there's no shame in your Lunchable game. That All that's doing is giving you more time to spend with your kid. Absolutely. That's what it is. Guys, uh, thanks so much for hanging out with us this week. Listen, what I want you guys to specifically do this week is head over to the App Store, iTunes App Store, or wherever you may find your apps, and uh, download the ParentQ app. Inside the ParentQ app, even even this this topic of conversation, we dive into there. You guys will be able to um, get helped out on what times to best connect with your kid. And um, yeah, so download the ParentQ app. That's one thing you guys can do. Also, please, please, please uh, rate us on iTunes. Interact with us on our Facebook page, on our Instagram page. Um, Make sure that you guys are joining in the conversation. We've had a blast talking about this today. Hopefully you guys have enjoyed listening, and we will see you guys next time on Parent Q Live.